like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlegspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at liveonfourlegspod. The song you're hearing is called Soon to be Replaced by Suspect Down. You can find them on Spotify or any of your streaming platforms. Buenas noches. Aquí vamos. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. everybody now welcome to live on four legs a definitive live pearl jam podcast got a pretty special episode something a little bit different for this week now we are going back to south america it's always good to go back to south america those shows just stand out and they are special for so many different reasons but it's special today for a couple different reasons we are inviting our gear guru on and throughout the whole entire year since january we got Javier to come in and talk about the tone of songs and talk about the gear that the guys have been using and talk about just kind of the structure of songs as well and how that's translated live. And it's been invaluable resources and something that John and I haven't really tapped into on the podcast at all. So this is going to be the first appearance where he's going to sit in a whole episode, talk with us, especially about a show in his home country in Chile that we're excited to get to because he'll have both personal stories and then he'll be able to kind of explain what's going on on stage as well. Really excited. Santiago 2011, it's coming at you right now. Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello, hello. Hey, so we're excited to get to Javier and I'm going to introduce him right now, but I have to kind of mention why this all came to be and how this all came to be. So in December, at the last Christmas party, at the end of the party, you know, people were starting to be like, okay, heading out, heading out, got to go to sleep, all that. And there were about like eight of us left. And I don't remember what sparked the conversation at all, but Javi just started going off on like, okay, here's what Go sounds like here. You know, this is in drop D and this is why this sounds like this. And he's going on, it it comes close to like what feels like 20 minutes, half hour that he just keeps going on. And the people that are there are like, oh my goodness, how the hell do you know all this? So it took me some time and I I really gave it a lot of thought because early 
in this season before we started the new year, I really wanted something different to happen with this podcast because I just like changing it up. I want to get more stories. I want to get more background and inside information as we can. And I thought, you know what? His expertise would go to waste if it's not utilized in teaching you guys and and showing you guys how it all works. So from that point forward, Javier has been an amazing asset to the show. And after five months, we're just happy to welcome him in as you know what? The official fifth leg of this podcast. We'll we'll give you one leg, not six. So Javier, I know I've been saying Javier for weeks and <laughs> weeks and weeks, but we're gonna change that right now. Welcome to a full time show, man. What's up? Hey, how's it going? Great. It's good, great good. to have you here. Yeah. Thank you. Um I'm super excited and happy to be here with you guys tonight. It's going to be fun. There's a lot of fun stuff to talk to. Well, I want to start with this, actually, because, I mean, you you can tell just by listening to you in one episode, you've really studied your stuff and not just studied Pearl Jam, but you know everything in general. You know about equipment, you know about what makes what sound happen and all that. So, you know, obviously you're a musician, but what got you into really digging into the minutiae and sort of the nerdy stuff within that kind of stuff? Ooh, let's let's go back. Let's see. I grew up with like five guys. I mean, I'm I'm an only child and those guys like are really close to me, were a very good group of close friends. And they happen to be musicians as well. One of them is a sound engineer. The other one is like a professor in this very prestigious academy in Santiago back home in Chile. And Manuel, actually, he just released an EP a few months ago, you know. So it was the thing that it was just like we were always playing. We we're always jamming. Like I, I started to play guitar when I was around seven or eight. Wow. And... Yeah, and, and it was always the thing. And actually, fun story for you guys. I, I wanted to go to school for music, but my family was kind of like, but what are you going to do with that? Oh, <laughs> yeah. You just like the Twisted Sister music video. You just sit in your bedroom yeah. and say, I want to rock. Yeah. And well, my family at that point, they were not very into the rock thing. <laughs> but yeah, so I ended up going to school for PT and all that stuff. And that's what it brought me to the United States. But music, it was always right next to me. and. I always started to get interested in more the whys, like, okay, why this amp, why the record that I'm listening to sounds this way, why they're using this amp, why this guitar, does the cable makes a difference? What if this little like square box in the floor that it looks so cool makes this very beautiful sound, you know? And it was more like that research thing going and going and going just to get to be familiar with equipment and kind of understand like where the sounds come from. It started to become an obsession. And then when I started to like really dig into Pearl Jam live and, and it was like, okay, why, why Mike is doing this lick? Okay. Why he's stepping into this pedal or why Stone is doing this? It was kind of like that journey to just to figure it out where the sound was coming from and discover like how the sound was being created. If, if that makes sense. It does. And actually a follow up on that. Did, when you were listening to their live stuff and you heard certain songs, you're like, I want to replicate that. Did you go out and specifically buy those type of pedals or, or a certain kind of board in order to play some of those songs the way that they're supposed to sound? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. That's where like the gas gear acquisition syndrome <laughs> started, basically. But yeah, especially I remember when I watched the Madison Square Garden one. The oh, Live of the Garden, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Live of the Garden. I was fascinated by it. And I remember like I needed to screamer in my life or I needed like uh, that green pedal that Mike uses for a delay, like a uh, line six. And I was chasing that kind of equipment and trying to figure out how to use it and how to especially replicate that tone, that sound. Or when I was learning the parts for specific songs that I really like, when I had the DVD, it was right now the kids have YouTube, you know, like learn how to play this and it's easy there for you. But I think in our time, it was more like, okay, I'm going to play the DVD, I'm going to pause it here, and then for the next five seconds, I'm going to pause it for five more times. You didn't print <laughs> out tabs? I was a tab printer. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I. you know what? I always wanted to trust more in my ears and start to develop my ears in the way that I can recognize sounds and tones better. I didn't want to like read stuff. I just well, I didn't have to- that kind of trust in myself. <laughs> I, I I really wanted to get into myself into headphones or into some sort of mental space where I could really understand what I was listening to. For example, like how to distinguish a tone in between a Telecaster, a Stratocaster, or a Les Paul or a Gretsch guitar. I feel that I've trained my ears to just to recognize that whenever I hear something live or from an artist that I like, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's a really nice Gretsch guitar. And people's like, how you know that? So because I've listened to it like a lot of times and I kind of recognize like the bell, like how they sound. You have a whole point of why you wanted to do this show today. And I think it has a lot to do with the tour year that they're on in 2011. Not a year we talk about too much. They did some Canadian dates and some of those Canadian dates are very, very good and hope to do them in the future. But also it's South America too, which the big thing of 2011 is obviously PJ 20, but the South American shows are, are great then as well. But you have a whole idea of why this year is so important as far as the tone and, and the sound on stage goes. So why 2011? I think if we look back, let's say pre 2011 and post 2011, so we, when we have covered shows from 2000, 2003, 2006, they're very unique in a certain way because the gear has switched so much in between those years. But after 2011, it was kind of like they found this kind of equipment, not specifically brands, but I think they found like the mix. They found like that comfort zone that they were looking for. After 2011, if you look at brands of like, for example, like Fender Amp, Satellites, all the stuff that we, we can talk about, a lot of the stuff that they're using now is 90% similar to what they were using in 2011. Maybe a different brand, but I think they found their sweet spot. And I think when I look back to 2011 and I listen to those boots and I listen to the 2022 shows or even like the 2013, the 2016, like the home shows and all that stuff, for me, it, it puts me back to 2011 because I'm like, I think it started the foundation of what we know as Pearl Jam live as of now let's ask you about just like your personal experience about this and were you living in the states at the time did you fly back down like what all brought you to this show yeah no i was not living in the states at that point i moved to the states in 2012 that's when i started grad school here i was still living there and me and my friends that year we did buenos aires and we did santiago too and I mean, we were coming back with the hype from Buenos Aires because that show was like, you can listen to the boot and the crowd. That was that was well, something it's a, else. It's a classic. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we were I mean, supposed to cover it until we thought, oh, well, let's cover Santiago <laughs> because Santiago's on YouTube in full. And then we discovered that, oh, no, that's just the audio anyway. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll make it up to you. We'll get to that show at some point in the next year. Yeah. And, and Santiago is a very special memory to me, too, because that was actually the, the last show that I spent with those guys, you know, with the other five. So it, it really holds a special place in my heart. And, 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 and it's always a good memory just to look back and to think when, when I saw them live there for the last time. And actually, in 2013, I was able to go back. I was there for something. I, th- I think it was like maybe spring break or something like that. And I was able to see them in, in Lulapalooza that year. But yeah, 2011 is a very good memory. It's a very good show. I think the crowd is up there too. I always think that it's extremely interesting that they open with I Thought Known. That's <laughs> that. Yeah, because it's it's kind of weird. But yeah, it holds a very special place in my heart because it's people that I care a lot about. And that was the last show that we were like together as a group. All right. So we went out to our friends and followers on Facebook, on the Pearl Jam podcast community group, and on Twitter, if you're not following, it's at Live on Four Legs Pod. And we asked them, we just said, look, this week we're joined by the Gear Guru, so I'm keeping this topic open-ended. If you have any questions about gear, sound, tone, why a song sounds a certain way, live, any performance kind of stuff, just fire away, take advantage. John, kick us off with some of the Facebook stuff. Yeah, we got one from Travis Howell who says, Are all guitar amps on, i.e. is sound coming from them all the time, or are certain amps used for certain songs or with certain guitars? Specifically for Mike, in the later era when he's running three or maybe four amps, the Union Jack, the Fender Bassman, or maybe a 65 and Savage or Matchless, and follow-up, if they're not all on all the time, What's clean, what's dirty, and what's switching them? Is there a pedal, anything like that? Yeah, so a few years ago, when I remember when I was trying to figure this out in what I call my lab, which is basically my guitar room at home, and I was trying to run the same sequence, I thought that all the, the amps were on at all the time. But then when I started to look at the gear that it was on that board that year, specifically he has one little like yellow pedal in front of his board, and that is like a remote control basically for amps. So whenever Mike was about to solo, he will always be kicking one of those little switches plus his booster pedal. So the answer for that is no, he doesn't run everything at the same time. When when he's about to solo, that Savage amp that is on the bottom that is specifically a Savage Blitz 50, that's on only on solos and the other two the satellite atom and the the other one i think if my memory is right if i check my notes right is the empire 65 those are on all the time but whenever he will do in the solo whenever he was wanted to get in front of the mix whenever he wanted to be a little bit more maybe like a dirtier signal he will kick on that amp so yeah that's in the way that he runs his gear and i think i'm 95 confident that he still runs the same till this day even with the new equipment and all the fancy stuff that they have now let's go to twitter and ask from patrick Aitchison. he had a question how much is each member controlling individual volume on stage is it done via swell pedal on the actual guitar or both does the mixer also adjust in real time? I'm going to quote Carrie Keys on this one. Carrie Keys, she's a sound engineer for like the in-ear system for Pearl Jam. And she has a pretty cool episode on a podcast that we can tag later so people could listen to. 
And actually, she was saying that the biggest struggle for her right now is to have the volume in it like a decent level, because at the end of the day, it's a rock band. So for that is no, everybody's set up in the same volume, or you might have little differences in between the players. But right, they're using in-ear monitors, right? They can customize what each person right, is getting. Right, right. And especially because I, I like it. And I can tell you from my own experience, when you have your in-ear, it's very comfortable. You can really get your amp level a little lower than usual because musicians are going to face hearing loss too, you know, like tinnitus oh, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, these guys are suffering from that as well, according to that podcast. And actually, I don't know if you guys noticed, but just to go a little deeper on this question, on the 2013 tour, you guys remember that this black boxes, they started to show up in between amps, like on the live setting. I don't know if you remember that. Vaguely. Yeah, so that's going to baffle the sound. Basically, what you're trying to do is to try to isolate the sound so you have your own area and basically the sound is not going to be bleeding anywhere else. So it's a way to control volume, too. Got one from Joey Goodsir. He says, the 2011 tour was the beginning of the current era as far as the gear lineup is concerned. You talked about that a little bit. As far as your knowledge goes of any new or cool equipment innovations, do you envision any changes to what we'll see the band play around with on stage on this upcoming tour in September? And if not, what sort of experimentation would you personally want to see in the future gear-wise? Oh, that's a good one. I would love to see the same trend. On the 2022 tour, they went MIDI boards. A MIDI board is like you have a laptop on your pedal board. You can send signals, you can turn on stuff, turn off stuff. And especially, I think the sonic need of the new record kind of like demanded that. I would love to see them continue to experiment with that kind of stuff. And especially like if the songs are going to get maybe more spacey, more experimental. I mean, who knows what they're working on with Andy Watt right now. But yeah, I would love to see that trend now from a fan perspective. Maybe I would love to see maybe a short run like in small clubs with one amp and just two guitars and two pedals and go. I got an old school question for you. This is from Mark Schaff of Twitter. Always been curious about the 2000 tour. It seems like Eddie's vocals on those bootlegs are at the same level as the instruments, but post 2000, you can hear the vocals clearer. Is that my imagination or did they make a change? No, actually they made a change. And I think it's also related with the equipment that they were using at that time. If you have to pinpoint as probably the most unique stuff that they were using, you can really go back to 2000 because they were going for matchless calves, orange, high watts, Trentino amps. I mean, those things are like handmade to order, you know? And I think like the combination of, of amps that they were using, it was kind of like making feel Ed's voice kind of like lost in the mix too. But yeah, I think definitely made some changes because now I totally agree hear Ed's voice in a way clearer way and more present because yeah, in some boots on the 2000 tour, you, you just cannot hear him sometimes in between the band. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for asking all your questions this week. And if we didn't get to them in the show... 
then we promise that they will be answered over on a little bit of a clip that we'll put to Patreon. So most of the patron people will add your bites to the Patreon once you're able to listen to those. And anybody that's not on Patreon will probably found themselves listening to their question already. So thank you everybody for tuning in. And great job, Avi. That was awesome stuff as, as always. Just keep learning more, hoping it'll stick. But yeah, you have to be, <laughs> you have to first have like an introduction into this stuff. Like I, I'm really like, I'm just astounded that like this is all being brought up here. Cause I have no basis for almost everything. And I'm trying to like keep up as much as I can, but it'll stick at some point. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate it. It's just for me, so interesting to talk about. And actually, if you allow me to go back, everything is started with Joey asking about like the reissue Fender Custom Shop at the Christmas party. That's what it was. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, you mean the 1959 that it was not 59, that it was 60? Yeah, like, that's okay. Yeah, he's like, that what do you mean it. with that? And then, of course, three beers down, I was like, okay, let me explain myself for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> and you had us all captivated because we, yeah, we had no answers for you. I really wanted to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't. I don't know. I always get fascinated with that. I've played one of them and where was Chicago? And man, that guitar is beautiful. It's something else. Well, it's about that time. Let's dig into the show. Let's get into Santiago from November 16th, 2011. And as Javi brought up a little bit before, this is going to be a song that doesn't get opened with a whole lot. Actually, The number is six. Six times it's been an opener. Unthought Known is the leadoff here. All the thoughts you never see You are always thinking you and I have something in common because both of us have been to shows where Unthought Known has been the opener, which is obviously, as we just mentioned, extremely rare. And it was Hartford 2010, so it was the same time period. And I think there were a couple of versions that they did it as the opener down in South America on that little run. And for me, I guess at that time, I didn't like kind of think anything of it. I thought, okay, new song and bands open with new songs all the time. But like looking back on it now, especially to where this stadium is and where this venue and kind of getting the atmosphere being outside, it's almost like a song like this with all the positivity and all the references to, to the sky blanketing you with gems and rhinestones and all that. Like it feels 
kind of like you're setting the tone for not just what this show is going to be, but what the atmosphere around you is going to, what you're going to bask in. Yeah, it was kind of weird for me, like a November day. So usually you're getting like out of the fall, like towards like the spring. But yeah, it was a beautiful day. I remember that clearly. And people were like excited. This is the first time the Pearl Jam came back after those 2005 shows. So it's been six years, you know, people are, we, we were waiting. <laughs> I mean, we waited way, way, way much more before the 2005 shows, but. Or you, you were waiting since you didn't go up to, to the States to go see a show? No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, okay. Manuel, study. yeah, he went, he was in, I think he was in a few shows in like 98. It was always one of those things where like, why didn't but, but anyways, that, that's in the way that it happened. And yeah, it was a beautiful environment. People were very, very excited. People were happy. And of course, when you're walking around, all the conspiracy theories, like, what's the song that's going to open? You know, it's going to be released. Everybody was betting on release. And we were like, yeah, they just did that in Buenos Aires a couple of nights ago. But we, we didn't discard it, you know? That was kind of the conversation. But when Eddie walks in and he's like, Buenas noches, aquí vamos. It was kind of like, all right, this is new, you know, and it immediately set the tone. Like people were like, okay, we're ready to go. And I was very appreciative of the fact that they were opening with that song because it was kind of new. It, it was pretty unique, I will say. Now, the next three, and you're following up a new song with like three just classic songs. And there were so many times where I was able to say this throughout the set where they play the first little bit of a song and the reaction feels different than the way that we react in the States. Like you hear the drum beat to why go and we're like, yeah, yeah. All right. And for you guys, it's more like, Oh, okay. Here we go. Like it's more of like a surprised reaction instead of like an excitement. And it just feels like for everything that's to come, the minute that you guys hear that recognizable, intro for why go for animal for evolution that's the reaction right there and it seems like everybody is like pleasantly like they have no guesses as to what's next and everything is a pleasant surprise yeah i always think that you're kind of catching your breath to just get ready to jump the kind of thing (laughs) you're like but yeah but i mean guys when why go started the state was shaking it sounds big you can tell yeah, when Matt started with like the, the drum beat, like you said, Randy, it's kind of like you get happy for five seconds and then you're like, okay, let's go. We need to jump. And yeah, in the intro, the stadium was shaking. That's, look, yeah. I thought during this, I, I, don't, I can't believe that after almost five years, I never thought this, but the way that I thought of this performance was why go home? You feel right at home when you hear this kind of song. You know what I mean? Like it just felt so warm and comfortable for the people there that like yeah six years is a huge delay and for a lot of those people i'm sure they didn't even get a chance to go to 05 so getting that like after you know a new song that maybe there are people there that are like okay didn't really dig backspace but everybody digs 10 like that's everybody's record so that gives you that sense of warmth and then mike scorcher of a solo just firing right away and and it feels like for a lot of these like animals the same way has a lot of electricity another great mic solo and it really we're in south america so i think it's due time that that we get to talk a little bit about evolution 
I'm interested to know because we talked a little bit about Buenos Aires and it does seem like they are the catalyst for doing the whoa, 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 whoa. And I heard it a little bit in Stone's first solo, but it didn't capture the band enough for them to extend upon it and let them go off. I was wondering what it sounded like there. Did it sound like a big moment or did it sound like, you know, in comparison to Buenos Aires, that it was a little smaller? Yeah, no, definitely it was big, especially because like you're hearing Stone by himself, you know, and people wanted to get singing. If my memory is right, I think that the call and response wouldn't like extend that part. I think it started in 2013 in Buenos Aires. I think it was. Is that well, OK? Because I thought I thought that Buenos Aires had been doing that since 05. Is that yeah. not? Yeah, no. So for example, Buenos Aires, like specifically, I think the call and response for evolution started in 2013. Yeah, okay. I mean, if, if you go back to 2005, of course, that they're going to be singing everything because that's what they do, <laughs> you know, like it, in, a, in a very good way. I remember when release started on 2011, when you hear like, da -da 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 -da, people immediately would go like, whoa, and they don't stop. <laughs> they're going to be singing for three hours. But yeah, on Santiago, like when you got like little stone riff, like people wanted to sing and people wanted just to go like get behind like those little parts and then like Eddie Storm singing upon it. And yeah, it was a very cool moment, especially because I remember that the lighting and we switched towards stone side and, and you're like the expectator of like its greatness doing that little part. So that, that was a very cool moment. Yeah, I, I thought that Matt was a really good highlight on this. It just felt like he had a drive to him and everything was full force at most of these songs at this show, but Evolution being one of the top ones. And we also get a, a little line change. I love the shit my corduroy pants line. We get it here. It's prominent. Gotta mention it every time. All right, well, it's good that you're here because John does a great job whenever we have to translate, but it's your language, so I'm going to defer to you. Now, I know what comostas is. I know what comostas yeah. is. But how are you? How are you? It, how are you? Or, or what's up? Yeah, yeah, what's up? That works, too. <laughs> and, and then uh, I'm going to defer to you for the rest of this now. I think he says something about, like, it has been six years, if I remember right. Yeah, I, I think he says, like, estamos muy contentos de estar de vuelta en Santiago, and it's been six years. And I think, I mean, I was raised bilingual, so I forget, and the majority of the time I take for granted that I know how to speak, like, a different language. But from an expectator standpoint, I think they make such a big effort to communicate, and I think people really, really appreciate that. Just the fact that you hear him with his like his piece of paper or like in reading upon whatever he was translating. I, <laughs> He's had it written out phonetically, so he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he sounded yeah. really good here, though. I thought he was like, yeah, I know this. I got this. Yeah. Compared and, to other times. Yeah, but, but people really appreciate that. You can see smiles all over the face. He definitely puts the effort in, for sure. You're right. So I did recognize, take care of each other. There's a lot of people. Muy importante. Yeah, I yeah. recognize that. Yeah, now I remember so. that. Yeah, yep. Okay, fellas. We're here at the worst song, and I mince no words by saying this. This is the worst song in the Pearl Jam catalog by about a thousand miles or so. Yeah, can't deny me's not great, but it's not this kind of horrible. 
haven't covered this song in a very, very long time. And I asked you guys before we started what episode you thought it was, was the last time that, that, that we covered. So do you have an answer for us? Well, my previous answer was episode one, but I'm, I have no. a feeling that I'm very wrong. <laughs> no, that was that was Fenway Park. I think that well, episode two was Can't Deny Me, but no, not on episode one. It was, however, in the teens. It was that long ago. Jeez. It was way before John. This was a Matt era show. It was Mexico City 2011, and that was episode 13. Yeah, it's been a while. I mean, but but why we have forgotten about this song? (laughs) Why? Well, I mean, first of all, most of the times they played it were on that tour down in South America or like maybe two or three times in Canada. And then, of course, they played it on Fallon that one time. What I want to ask you, because is it across the board, all of us think that this is the worst song in Pearl Jam's catalog? Yeah, maybe. God, <laughs> uh, I, I know you're going to say yes. Speak for the whole continent and just, just let us know. <laughs> you know what I think it is? This is like my own theory. Ole is uh, a chant that is like very related with like soccer games. So maybe, maybe that's something they're like, oh, Ole is a thing that maybe they're going to feel familiar with it if we sing it there. I mean, it still sucks, but maybe that's what they thought. Maybe like if we're going to sing Ole in this, you know, this totally feels like they knew that they were touring down there and they thought we have Mm -hmm. to kind of do a tribute to them. And I think that the worst part about that is that if you're going to do that, allow for there to be an Ole chant in there somewhere. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, and the song feels rushed, you know? I'm not going to get into that it's a little bit of a rip-off that a song called The Meaning of Soul by Oasis, if you want to dig that in. But, yeah, it, it just feels rushed. It feels that it was not finished, that it was maybe like, I don't know, the lyrics are not there. And maybe, as Pearl Jam fans, we have racist standards so high that we expect greatness in every single lyric, and maybe they were just having fun with it. Who knows? It feels like they wrote it in about five minutes. And I remember when this was released as like the digital download they released, I think, before the tour started. It was like, hey, here's this song, download for free, whatever. And it just comes off as pandering and like disingenuous, which, yeah, you hate to associate that with a band like Pearl Jam because that's not something that they want to do and would ever want to be known for. But it's such an outlier in the catalog, and there's a reason that they've never gone back to it, and they never will again. I remember the the feel around the stadium when that song was played. I think the people around me, they were like, oh, they're playing their new song. It sucks. <laughs> and people were, like, taking the bathroom break, maybe. It, but, it wasn't yeah. like an anthem for South America. Oh, no. No. And, like, what were they thinking? Like, it never was going to be. You can't just do that. Like... Yeah, you already have Do the Evolution. Like, I don't know what they were trying to do. Yeah, I don't know. Because I think it was in between Corduroy too, right? Or right after, something like that? In between. Corduroy, yep. Corduroy would come next. So it's it's good to wash the taste out of your mouth. But (laughs) yeah, guys, guys, I just think that this is Ed's, especially Ed. It's his worst attempt at anything he's ever done. It's just lazy. 
It's sloppily put together. The lyrics are nonsensical. Hey, what do you say when your life ends? You say, Olay. And then on and on, the lyrics don't attach to each other. Also, it kind of feels like an amalgamation of a few different kind of Pearl Jam songs and styles. I feel like the bass is very similar in a way to Save You's bass line. The riff is kind of like, John, you sort of mentioned before we started, it's kind of like a light the fixer, but I think it's really a diet whipping almost, like a really, really watered down version of whipping. And the way that Ed kind of sings the chorus almost sounds like undone a little bit. And I think it was just kind of taking a lot of elements that they know, smacking it together and being like, well, we made a song. And that's okay for like a garage high school band, but that's kind of not okay for Pearl Jam. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Look, all in all, this is a pretty horrible song, but I will say it's pretty impressive for how many amazing songs that they've written. Probably over 100 amazing songs, if we were to count. It's almost like they purposefully wrote a horrible song with their musical knowledge and all that like this is how you write a bad song so our intention is to write one like it feels almost impressive in that way (laughs) well you gotta wash your mouth out like i said and what better way to wash it out than quarter it's almost like they knew this was gonna flop come on why would you do that if you knew that this one was gonna suck and people were gonna be like eh no thanks they played it four more times after this right Two of them weren't even on this tour. They played it on another tour. And once in 2012 and once in 2013. All right. Corduroy is much better. So let's focus on Corduroy. Just going back to kind of the placement a little bit. You have all those three songs, three bangers right in a row. And you'd think like, keep that momentum up. Bring like a hail, hail would have worked perfect there. Or literally anything but Olay would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. And then Corduroy would have honestly worked. If they went straight into Corduroy, that would have been perfect. But they get off track for a second or two, but they're back on with Corduroy. It's another showstopper version of the song. I like this bridge. It felt like they were kind of loose in this bridge, Javi. And it led to an explosive ending there, but it just kind of felt like they were playing around a little bit. Right before they go into the solo, it might have been extended just a little bit just to kind of get some more clapping and things like that. What's your thought about that? That song sounded huge in the stadium. Like, it was loud, it was big. Yeah, I remember that they were kind of like playing around, and I remember specifically Stone, he was kind of like looking at the audience, trying to gauge where the audience was right before like the big, big ending. It felt that they were trying to extend the song a little bit more. For me, I was geeking out because I don't know if it was the first year, but there was a specific guitar that Mike was like running around tour that it was like a 57 list ball um it was not the junior is like the i forgot the name the list ball studio whatever it was the, the yellow one but it was full of stickers and i haven't seen that guitar coming back since and for me it was kind of like oh this is cool and this is kind of like also he was getting into p90 pickups and, and it sounded great and it sounded huge
right, so now we actually get some Olay chance. <laughs> well, after Olay is played, it's like, yes, now we want to celebrate, and we will do that Olay chant nowhere near your song. So the band, <laughs> this is actually kind of an, an important moment I'll, I'll get to you in a, in a second, but I'll tee this up. The band is taking a little while. I think they're about to address an issue. Ed says it's way too tight up in the front. He wants everybody takes three steps back or else they can't play. But it really seems like he's struggling to get this crowd's attention, and he shares a lot of frustration to people in the back. Kept commenting, it's too tight, it's too dangerous. So what was happening during this moment? Whenever you get GA through the 10 Club in South America, not all the time, but usually you're not going to be placed in the front. You're going to go to the side. Like, I don't know why they do this, to be honest. It's, it's a local production thing. It has nothing to do with the band, nothing to do with the 10 Club. But they kind of place you over the side, like in a VIP kind of thing. And I remember that I was watching and, and it made me nervous for a second. Because people in the back were really moving and people were getting very intense. People were jumping, people were having a great time. But at the same time, they were pushing in front. And Ed noticed this and... At some point, he was very frustrated. Like, he would say, like, hey, por favor, like, move back. And people in the middle were not responding. They were just like, eh, we're not going to move. And somebody from their team came in, and I, I honestly thought that they were going to walk out at that point because people were not responding. And I think once they started to figure it out, they're like, okay, these guys are not going to play till we really, like, help the ones in the front that's when people kind of like started like, okay, we're going to take a few steps back. They didn't have that issue after that, but I got concerned for a second. I honestly thought that even for like, I don't know, like there was one saying that like, I really hope that hurt in the front. Yeah. You can hear the worry and the pain in Ed's voice. He's really feeling this. Yeah. It even seemed like when he was satisfied with it, that he wasn't actually satisfied that he's like, okay, this works instead of like, thank you everybody for doing this. He was just kind of like, all right, that's fine. We can deal with this and we can move on. But it didn't seem like he was very thrilled about the participation that was happening. I think it was more like the length of time that people took in responding. He was just like, Hey guys, you need to move back. Come on. Right. But yeah, people in the middle were not responding which kind of sucked, but yeah, they ended up moving. But after like, I don't know how many times he had to ask the same thing. Yeah. You can only repeat yourself so much, but now he, he does talk a little bit after this and he's saying a bunch of things that I wrote down in my notes as saying, it sounds like he's reciting the name of soccer players. I don't know why, but one of them sounded familiar, like a soccer team or something like that, but <laughs> it wasn't soccer players. What was it? This is right before Small Town, and he was like, Esta canción es para todos los que son de Arica, Iquique. And he starts to name a bunch of towns. And actually, he names my home, which it was very, like, the highlight for me and for, for my friends that we were there. But Small Town translate as Pequeña Ciudad, and he says at the end, this song is called Pequeña Ciudad. I think the story goes because there were a lot of people at the hotel the night before. And he was kind of asking around, where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you mm-hmm. from? And there were a lot of people traveling just to see them from small towns. I mean, because Santiago is huge. It's like 8 million people right now. Wow. So he just took the time and kind of write down all the names of the, the cities of people were traveling from. What's and your hometown? Which, which one was yours? It's the first one. It's Arica. It's the okay. first one that he names. Yeah, that's all the way up in the north. But yeah, he names that, and, and that that was, I don't know, that, that I have to confess that I tear up a little bit when I hear the, the, the name of the hometown. 
yeah, so Small Town is going to be followed up by Crop Duster, and then we're going to get Even Flow and Daughter, which obviously I think are definitely more talking points, especially on your expertise. But Small Town had good participation with the crowd. Crop Duster is like the surprise of the set, I think. It doesn't really have much of a life to it outside of the Riot Act era. And for Riot Act era, I'm really considering it to be 2002 to 2005 when the album kind of still had a little bit of residue to it, I suppose. It had only been played seven times, so it feels like an interesting decision. It sounded really good, but I want to ask you what the crowd reaction was to this, and I also want to know, was there like a full moon or something out, and that's why they played it? There were clips, guys, not a full moon. The crowd, the Pearl Jam hardcore fans, they were like, oh my fucking god, they're playing Crop Duster. Like, you know, like, they're like, (laughs) yeah. Because usually sometimes, especially in the first years, like in the later times, like 2013, 15, 18, the first sets sometimes even they felt like they were trying to very much be like a crowd pleaser because it's, it's just like, you have so many songs and you have two nights. I mean, what do you play? You know? Right. I remember that there were like people around me and they were like, what is this song? You know, like, you don't know what you're saying. Silence. Like, if, this is a great song, you know? Yeah, I'm sure people chase songs down there just like they do here. I mean, this is one that they probably never heard before. Oh, yeah. Right. Definitely right. never heard. Right. And you know what, guys? Like, it, it sounded fucking great. <laughs> like, it was a great song. It completely made the vocals. And for me, that is a highlight for Stone, too because the tone that he drives over the entire song is super cool for me, to my ears at least. But yeah, it was kind of like the surprise of the night for sure. And people were very like, ah, oh, they play Cup Foster, man. Like, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, you always need like one or two that you can just kind of check mark off and be like, yep, I can have that on my mantle. That's a, that's a good one to put in my backpack. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to get into two songs that... Well, I don't think anybody really has on a checklist because usually in their first or second show, they've nailed these, Even Flow and Daughter. And Even Flow is a classic McMelty showcase. However, even though Ed says La Guitarra to get to McCready, I like Stone's La Guitarra here and the riff that he's got going. It's just so consistent sounding and kind of has that a little bit like metallic sounding. So I wanted to ask you what was emanating off Stone's guitar during this rhythm. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things that Stone starts to do. It's kind of like the ding, 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 like kind of like being a little bit groovy in the back. And of course, Mike is melting and destroying everyone's face on the front. But in this one, it's just he was running at that point a pedal that is called the MXR Distortion Plus. And if you start to notice, like, for example, like if we move forward to 2022, I know that we have mentioned that there are certain songs that he sounds pretty metallic to. It's kind of like he found that formula that there was going to be working for him. He has been changing elements like back and forth, but the idea is kind of like the same. Like he, he wants to sound heavier in front. And especially because if I remember right, he used a Strat for this version. So for that kind of guitar that the pickups are a little lower gain, you need something that is going to make it a little dirtier than usual. So for me, it makes sense that he's using this kind of element, especially that guitar part that he wanted to get into it, just a little bit more like edgier, like with more edge, with more bite into it. And it's very impressive too, like he can play a completely different rhythm and still find a groove on it and still lock in on something with Mike. 
and have it fit the song and not be a complete disaster because you know most rhythm guitarists if you veer off of the groove that you're playing you're going to be lost completely but stone is just a master class in rhythm guitar playing he can lock in on something and just make it fit with whatever he's doing it's very very impressive we got a ton of great crowd response when a song is breaking back into the chorus and then ed lets them go the whole entire time it's a fun time a fun atmosphere another big time moment from a big time song and then right away you're getting right back into another big timer with daughter and that's another one the crowd right when the chords hit for daughter they're like oh and the song itself and not going into the tag had a ton of punch to it. it felt a little bit more aggressive than it usually does but i think it's worth mentioning here that one of the tags here is the peter gabriel song red rain if that sounds familiar because it was noted that ed's earthling song invincible was inspired by red rain so it makes sense that in this era and it would happen a couple of times throughout the mid 2010s the aughts that they would bring in red rain as a daughter tag and we see now it all kind of come full circle and how ed has felt inspired by it actually rewatched the Americans series a, a few months ago and there's a ton of Peter Gabriel songs used on the soundtrack there so that kind of sent me on a mid-80s Peter Gabriel rabbit hole and Red Rain is maybe my favorite Peter Gabriel song I love this I can't believe they waited this long to do it I think it fits perfectly I wish this had stuck around you know to the present day I think it's great we get another crowd participation moment on another brick in the wall as well which always seems to resonate with U.S. and European fans, but this seemed to be pretty big with the South American fans, too. That was the time where there were a lot of discussions about social rights and specifically to get a little bit more funding for education. So it makes sense. It was at the right time because lobbying in conversations about, like, what are we going to do with this? Because at some point, I mean, Chilean education is pretty good. I'm, I'm not going to lie, but it was getting way out of reach for a lot of people. And it was a very hot topic at that point. And I'm really happy that they created awareness towards that. Now, the quote that you were talking about, Javier, is it's not teachers leave the kids alone. It's government let the teachers teach. Government pay for the kids to learn. This song, the next song, is about a kid named Chris McCandless for, from Into the Wild. So, yeah, that sums up everything that you were saying in there. But now we're getting into setting forth, which was starting to be implemented in the sets. I believe the debut was at PJ20, and by this point, they had played it 13 times, so they were in a groove with this. And then it's going to be setting forth, I got shit, and then giving a fly. I got some stuff on giving a fly, but John, you had some stuff on setting forth tee that up when i was listening to this it felt like the guitars were a little bit out of tune and i wanted to ask javier if he noticed that going back and re-listening to it because there were a few times especially it wasn't necessarily the wrong note but it felt like something was off yeah it sounds weird but mike in the songs he used a rickenbacker 12 strings 
and when you see it in front, the tuners and the Rickenbacker backer are kind of weird because they're playing back and towards the front. So it seems that you're playing like a six string guitar, but actually you're playing a 12. The problem with the 12 string guitar, if you don't hit the note right, you will hear like this little bit like off pitch when you're playing. So I think that's why you heard, but when we were at the stadium, I noticed it like, ah, it feels a little off. But then once yeah. like, oh yeah, that's a 12 string, makes sense. Like when, it, when it's done right, you get that really good, like early REM kind of jangly, going back to the 60s, like the birds were known for using yeah. like, mm. guitars and stuff. And like, when it's done well, you get that really jangly, clean sound. But yeah, if you don't, if you don't do it right, it can be a train wreck. And now I know that like, if, if we talk about something else, like I, I know that they're doing it with the six string, but like I miss the days when they were doing it with the 12, especially the intro that sounded like gorgeous. I got shit given a fly. I got shit I thought was definitely driven by Cameron. This is another very Cameron heavy performance here. And almost like when you get to this era and you get to the later eras with the song, like that sludgy version that you get from the mid 90s is gone. And the song has kind of a clean vibe to it now where it kind of sounds a little fuller. It, it sounds like there's a little less distortion on it. It sounds almost a little poppier. So what all goes into how that sound develops over time and evolving into that? I think the song got bigger. It's like less raw, more sophisticated. I remember the show and so many people were so happy that they were listening to that song. That was kind of another like crop duster moment. Kind of like, oh man, they played, I got ID, you know? And it sounded great. They have changed a lot of stuff, but I think they're always gonna play it with, okay, how do we feel about this song? We wanna make it a little bit more rhythm. Okay, let's go for something maybe a little lower gain, single chord, maybe something like a Strats, Tellies, or maybe a Gretsch guitar here and there. But in this one, they went like full on. Like I remember they were both playing with hamburgers, like two less balls or one SG and one less ball, something like that. So it sounded pretty rocky, but also it sounded kind of like, more like an anthem. It sounded mm. like the song was getting like a little bigger than what it really was at that point, you know? Yeah, I, I hear you on that. That's a good way to put that. Now, Given a Fly is probably one of my highlights from this, and it sounds like Mike is using a pretty cool sounding pedal here. It's a powerful version overall, and Mike sounds just tremendous the whole way through. But what is he using on this? Because it doesn't feel like this is the everyday effect that you get from Given a Fly, especially in the later hours. is something that he's going to be like the same overdrive that he was running up. Specifically, like in 2011, he basically cleaned up the board that he was using on 2006, 2009, and the previous tour, and like this board was remade. Like there were like a bunch of new stuff. He was specifically using something called like the Boiling Point Overdrive, in which is a pretty cool overdrive that it cleans up pretty well when you roll down the volume. It's very responsive. 
for me the highlight of this is this tour is when Mike really started to go for that P90 sound that is a little bit more punchier and clear for specifically the song which is given to fly. Specifically in this show, he used a Gibson Firebird 3, which is a non-reverse kind of like style body guitar. And then later on, he got his own like Mike Lowe custom model that he still uses till this day. If you want to relate that, that's the guitar that he uses for Given to Fly. And usually he uses for Present Tense too. And he uses for Brain of Jay. That's the sound of that guitar that you're looking. And you always see the same Mike Lowell custom. And it makes sense to me because the tuning that you use for Given to Fly is the same one that you will use for Present Tense and the same one that you were going to use for Brain of Jay. Yeah, there's uh, one moment at the end where Mike is like holding out a note and it just sounds like he's, I don't know, the best way I can put it is it's that (laughs) out of all the technical music stuff, I come in here and I make a Guitar Hero reference because what the fuck do I know? But it sounds like he's holding that note and when you look on it like on Guitar Hero, it's like that big streak that just kind of comes through. And (laughs) I know you're probably way too sophisticated musically to have ever played Guitar Hero, but that's the way I'm going to put it. That's my music expertise right there, damn it. Uh, Everybody played Guitar Hero. I did too. It's when you get like those 16 notes in a row and like the the joystick is on fire and the screen is on fire. Yeah, I totally (laughs) get what you're saying. When you get all the oranges and the yellow ones, you're like, oh, Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if only, if only we'd gotten that Pearl Jam Rock Band game. Oh God, don't get me started. We, oh, if you want to go back into the archives, we talked about that, and that this is from a long time. I can't even direct you to that. We need that. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to happen, and then it got shelved. Ed tees up the next one, and really the the last four are going to come at you straight, one after the other, after the other, after the other. Ed tees up Nothing Man as being a song about a big mistake. And once again, it has the same thing as Daughter had. It has the same thing as Why Go had. The crowd reacting like right upon first note. And everybody is just a huge surprise reaction. I just love that from this crowd at this show. I thought Ed was especially the highlight on this. I thought he sang real good. And I thought the crowd followed up really, really good. And just a really, really nice version. It felt like the crowd was really attached with this and kind of needed sort of a a coming together, sing-along type moment. Yeah, I remember, I think it, everything, it comes along with, it was a beautiful, beautiful version of Nothing Man, but I think people were surprised because like, it's kind of like, it was kind of like a weird placement on the set, if that makes sense. You, you know, because you hear all our songs and then like, oh, we're going to kind of like you take a break here. I mean, the version was beautiful. But yeah, I, I, I remember That's the wave, man. That's how the wave crashes and builds back up. I thought, I thought it'll work perfectly. I, I like it after giving a fly. I mean, if you explain it that way, yeah, it makes sense to me. It was a great sing-along. You can see people singing their hearts out with that song. Yeah, that was really great. And then you get a song they're singing their hearts out to, and then you're going to get a song that probably 5 to 10% of people know in Public Image, which is a cover that they were really doing at that time, but again, like people weren't really attaching to that. And then you're going to get The Fixer, which is the first backspacer since Unthought Known, but you're going to finish it all out with Jeremy, which is going to be really supercharged and get a lot of people involved with this. So I'll tee right into Jeremy because I, I don't have much to say about Public Image or The Fixer, much to ask you about, but 
if you have anything, then then feel feel free to to jump in. But this version of Jeremy, once that bass comes in again, the crowd is unglued. Like this is one that they were waiting for the whole night. And Jeremy is not usually a closing song, so this is a little bit different here. The way that this revs up, it gets unbelievably supercharged towards the end, really, really fast in that call and response. And it feels like as the call and response keeps going, it feels like Cameron is like, okay, tempo up, tempo up, tempo up, just faster, faster, faster. I wonder if because they were using it in the closing role that they felt like they had to do something kind of extra special to it to make it stand out and to kind of bring this crowd back after I'm sure they were fine for Fixer, but Public Image probably didn't have a lot of moving around. Uh, Yeah, I went to the bathroom in Public Image. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I like that song. I think it's a good cover. It doesn't mean a lot to me. No offense to anyone. But Jeremy, wow. I, I remember that. People got on for that song, especially because always at the last part, it, it goes like, okay, here we go. When you started like singing that last part, is yeah. I agree with you. I think it started in a very intense way, but ended up in it. Like, yeah, it was way quick, <laughs> way powerful. And I think, yeah, I think that they were trying to like make it big. And the response of the audience was like insane. When you were singing the ooh, every single arm in that stadium was up. Every single one of them, 62,000 and plus. Yeah, that was, that was great. station identification thanks some people then uh, we'll talk about some things that are happening within live on four legs universe first i want to thank mike packard he's a good friend of the show he's a good friend of mine and he upped his patreon donation so we want to thank him for that he joined up on the horizon leg tier 
And I just want to mention, because he's been so gracious to us to allow us to use some of his band's music as our intro music. We did a couple weeks ago, we did a song called Living Life Fast, and that's my favorite song that his band does. His band is called Suspect Down. They're like a pop punk, but like have a little bit of like the singers like really clean and kind of almost has like a Gaslight Anthem vibe to it. It's, It's very good, and they're very new but they're really, really well put together. And today's song that we used is called uh, Soon To Be Replaced. So you can find them on Spotify. You can find them whenever you stream music and and download their music and stream. They have a couple of singles out, EPs out, so you can stream their music if you just search Suspect Down, especially on Spotify. It's worth a listen, especially this was a good one today that we used, Soon To Be Replaced, but I think Living Life Fast is definitely the one you got to listen to. Let's also thank two brand new bonus leg patrons for today, Kyle Madison and Sean Burke. Thank you to Kyle and Sean for joining up on this team. And yeah, it's just, as always, every week we'll just kind of tee up how great all the patrons are and and how thrilled we are to just see everybody react and, and enjoy the episodes. But right now, we haven't done this in a while because we actually, this is the first time in a very long time, probably the first time since I've had my 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 son that we've done a three-person discussion here it, it, we've kind of stayed away from it due to time restraints and all, everything like that so i used to ask patrons that came on the show i i used to ask them if they could kind of do a quick sell for patreon and kind of give me a break so can i uh, defer to you for this avi you want to sell the people on why they should join patreon absolutely this is I mean, Patreon is a good way to get connected with like these guys, right? But the most important thing that is going to allow you to open doors for getting to this beautiful, wonderful community. That's in the way that I see it, at least. Like, allow me to meet John, Randy, Anthony, Amy, Lori, everyone in Seattle with, like, as an example. And yeah, you're going to hear great content. You're going to hear me geek out for three minutes at the time about a lot of interesting stuff that I think is interesting, at least. But yeah, it's a wonderful show and they stand up for the right things. And the most important is the community behind. So it's totally worth it. So you should do it. I don't know what you're waiting <laughs> for, but you should do it right now. Like you're wasting time already. Go do it. And speaking of community, you didn't mention Aaron and Duke. So I, I, I had to throw them in since they are part of that group. Yeah. Shout out to Aaron. I mean, <laughs> feel, feel better, buddy. I, I, I know. I know. Oh, that yeah. he, he knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. Big, big shout out. Yeah. We hope he's doing better by now. Yeah, I mean, well said. I struggle saying more than that every single week, but I think that's efficient. And I always defer to people that understand the content more than I do creating it. So all I got to say from here on out is how you can do it is to go to patreon.com slash live on four legs and you'll see all the options there. There are three tiers. You guys know the drill. Whatever you want to donate a month is fine. If you want to donate for the yearly tier, that's fine as well. And there's also other ways that you can do it. You can do it on the app. Just download Patreon app and search for Live on Four Legs on the app. Same thing. It'll go to the same prompts for you. Or, hey, get us a website hit. Go to liveonfourlegs.com and click the Become a Patron button. It's on every page. At the top, it's orange. And you can do the same exact thing. Anything works anything helps out. So thank you guys for that. Two more things that I want to address right now. One of them is actually, if you go on to liveonfourlegs.com, now 
we kind of addressed this when we were talking about all the 2003 shows that we'd been doing and, and sort of the grand finale of what we're going to do this year is of course going to be the Mansfield experiment. We've never covered it before. We've been waiting for a big moment to do it. And late June, early July is going to be the time. And and we're really excited about it. We got a lot to talk about, but also we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear your stories, your experiences from being there, whether it's finding out that they were doing this experiment, whether it's finding out that they were doing the acoustic set, or maybe for some of you, I know you missed the acoustic set and you had no idea that it was happening. We just want your personal story and your intake and, you know, what you loved about these shows, you know, what you kind of wish you would have gotten and, and maybe anything else in between that really kind of sparks your memories on these. And we're doing all three episodes separately. So we will, tell stories kind of spurs throughout all three of them. So if you go to live on four legs.com on the home slider, there's a graphic that you'll be able to see. You can click on that and fill out the form. You tell your story right there and just let us know which shows that you were at. So we kind of know which episode that we're able to tell it on. And I know a lot of you love these shows and a lot of you love talking about these shows. So I expect some good participation here and looking really forward to people jumping in and letting us know what their favorite stuff is. And we're going to tell all that when we get to those episodes, we'll share all of it for you guys. So that's one thing. The next thing is I want to tell you guys about an interview that we just did that we'll be releasing either later this week or early next. And if you're on our social media, you saw that it was my first ever TikTok that I made. I caved in. I never really wanted to make a TikTok, but then I realized, oh, you know, I'm kind of creative and I can do this stuff and I'm actually pretty not bad at it. So I wanted to do one because this Bluegrass album came out, you know, a week or two ago and I kept listening to it a couple times and I kept listening to the songs. I'm like, I don't recognize that. I don't recognize this song and on and on and on. And I just kind of sat it down. I put it to the side and I said, all right, you know what? I want to do a video where we play the songs and I try to guess what it is before the lyrics come in. So it's, it's fun. And if you want to follow on TikTok, you can, it's at live on four legs. I'll try to do more as we go along. I want to do more, but there's so much shit to get to podcast wise and, uh, and elsewhere that I'm not sure, but we have interviewed the band that recorded the bluegrass album. We interviewed Vance and Tony from the band iron horse who have done these covers. Also bluegrass covers of songs from Metallica, Kanye West, from Modest Mouse, Taylor Swift, all across the board here. So there's a lot of great content that we'll be talking to them about and maybe a little bit about their Pearl Jam fandom as well. That'll get you guys excited. And and yeah, it's it's something really different. And yeah, hopefully you guys enjoy that because I think we really enjoyed the conversation. So yeah, that's all we got for this week. Look, we told you how to sign up. So if Javier says do it, He's smarter than me. Maybe smarter Javier. than John. I said Javi. <laughs> I only said Javi. I didn't say Javier. You did. Yeah, we yeah. need a... I, actually, history. if you go sign up right now, you're going to get an from Randy. <laughs> That's the part that you were missing in the, the other shows. <laughs> All right, back to the rock. 
Ed is speaking in Spanish before getting into Just Breathe. Can we have the translation? Uh, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> I was counting on you for this. God damn it, I didn't write it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I, I think it had something to do. I, I heard this, the word bonita, and it sounded like he was dedicating it to somebody. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but it felt like it was going that route. Now, Just Breathe is going to get into down. It's going to get into I Believe in Miracles. And look, I want to get Javier's take on this. Javier's take on this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, the, the the coin bucket, whatever. Like, yeah, when you curse and you have to throw change into into the jar. Uh, yeah, all right, sure. I, I, I guess it's got a couple dollars in there right now, but we'll, we'll, this break, is, you. we'll break you. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got you. But this, <laughs> just breathe. Anytime it comes up, we're excited to hear it. But then something uh. happens where either. We continue to be excited or we're super, super disappointed. And I thought if this was going to be an excited version, then this was going to be a top three highlight. This crowd is awesome on this. I give them a lot of kudos to singing along to this one. It's fantastic. I'm not sure if we've had a crowd sing like this on Just Breathe before. Yes, We sit alone, I know someday we must go on Yeah, I'm a lucky man to count on both hands the ones I love Some folks they got one, yeah, others they got none I thought it was amazing, however baseless so we love the bass on this but every time this comes up we, we talk about how the bass really makes the version and i want to know from you javier whether or not you feel the same way that you need the bass and the buoyancy and bounciness that it has and just the beauty of it balancing the whole entire song if that's the way to go yeah i felt that there was something missing too and I don't know, it's a beautiful version, especially the sing-along, but I don't know about you guys, but I remember and I felt that it was a little kind of like incomplete, you know, kind of like they were playing certain parts and they were kind of like not playing other parts. Well, or maybe What happens was in this is that when Jeff is replaced, he's replaced by Mike, and Mike, all he does is goes out there and strums like one note. He goes dun 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 dun, dun. and and that's all he does. It feels like I don't know, almost childish for him to do that. Yeah, I felt that this was incomplete. I mean, people were like over the moon with that song. That song had like a super high radio in South America. It was like one of those songs that like a lot of people even like entering, like listening to Pearl Jam for the first time, they will quote that song. They will be like, oh, yeah, I love Just Breathe. Oh, yeah. It crossed over into like pop radio. Yeah. 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 They were playing that song a ton. But yeah, it, it felt incomplete to me. I mean, the, the sing along is always a plus. But yeah, it, it's kind of like I, I love the bass version. I think it adds more depth into it, too. Agreed. And yep. disappointed. Yeah, always excited to maybe hear it and always bummed out when it doesn't show. 
It's going to be a really rocky evolution episode whenever it comes to that. <laughs> I'll say that. Down, you had some stuff to talk about on Down, John, so why don't you go for it? Yeah, Down coming off of Just Breathe is interesting, because like, Just Breathe is Ed, and then they're going to come back immediately. You're bringing the band back out, so A, why not have Jeff play if he's going to come out for the next song anyway? But as far as Down is concerned, when you get to the solo, I mean, this is a Mike song, so it, it makes sense. The solo on Down is very, very impressive. Maybe the best I've ever heard him play this solo. It really goes above and beyond. I thought this was a really standout version of the song. This version is amazing. Mike really goes for it. He kind of like shows up everything that he knows in like a minute and a half that he gets at the end. I love the part that he can really solo super fast, but it always feels like super melodic. It, it, it never kind of like steps over the song. He always like complements the song extremely well. My favorite part about this song is the last part. After the solo, he goes with this little delay. While oh, it the little is- ska kind of breakdown. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's such a beautiful arrangement because it's kind of unexpected. You're like, okay, they're going to end up with a solo, and then nope, goes to a different route, and then it goes back to singing, and then they just finish up the song. And yeah, it's a great version. To finish off this three-song section, we do get a little of a nod for Ed's amigo, Johnny Ramon, before getting into I Believe in Miracles, and it's an important song for South America. The Ramones had such a, a stronghold on that territory and were so popular. The song was great. I thought this was a really good driving version, and there were very little subtle organ fills, like hearing that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. You hear boom kind of go dun-dun, and it sounded really good aligning with that. But I want to know, in your perspective, like what was the Ramones' popularity down there, and like how does that like translate to the crowd and like their intake for rock and roll music? Yeah, they were definitely one of the first intakes for sure. So I was born in '84, and unfortunately, was Pinochet was around. There was a little bit of censorship when it comes to music too. Mm-hmm. And one of the first things that you could hear when you were a kid, they were the Ramones. And it was one of like the first things that you heard from the outside when everything, I don't want to say opening up, but unfortunately there were like really dark, sad times for my home country around those years and there were a bunch of stuff that you should not be listening because you could be associated with something, you know, or your family could be associated with something, so people would kind of avoid it in certain places and... But yeah, when, when everything is started to be more normalized, and when even with bands, they were starting to tour in South America, specifically in, in, in Chile, like the Ramones, whenever they could go, they will go. Even their own like band members, they will go in their solo stuff. In, in Argentina, they're even bigger. Like, it's like a religion. How will even dare to compare like their like Docker and Ramones in kind of that order for them? Whoa. It's, they're huge, yeah. That's very cool, yeah. That's really good insight on that. All right, to continue on in the set list right here, 
Ed is just looking around. He's like, somebody was supposed to be there right now, and he's going to be up here. And it just seems there's a little confusion as what they're going to play. And it sounds like Ed's mumbling last kiss or somebody saying last kiss in the background. And then it ends up being worldwide suicide, which couldn't be further from (laughs) being last kiss, I suppose. But I do have a thought on worldwide suicide because I I love... There was a lot of experimental stuff going on in the beginning, a lot of Ebo and just a lot of cool guitar effects that are happening here. And it did feel like once Worldwide Suicide sort of broke outside of Avocado that this intro kind of turned out that way because the time that I saw this, probably the last time I saw this at Madison Square Garden in 2010, I remember hearing that beginning and like kind of not knowing and maybe not hearing that Dun, 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 and maybe not kind of registering that and but there was a lot of noise happening through the amps and i just wanted to get your take and and like what they were doing on this yeah i i agree with you because the first couple of versions that they, they were like super rocky and kind of like more rhythm kind of stuff but as the song started to evolve i think it was a little bit more experimental at the beginning it's always going to start with ed on the evo and then everybody's gonna kind of tag along and creating that space layer, a lot of delays. I've heard some versions where like Mike kicks in the, the pog, which is, makes the guitar sound like a, like a huge like piano, like synthesizer kind of stuff. And I think this is one of the songs that I really like to hear down to. I don't think it really affects it. I think it makes it even more like enjoyable to in this kind of new evolved, kind of like we're gonna jam along version thing. And that was another surprise for that night. Like, people were not expecting to hear World Watch Suicide on that set. Yeah, this is kind of like the beginning of the end for it. You know, you got it like one more year until Lightning Bolt, and then it would sort of really disappear after that. But yeah, this is the only Avocado song on this night. So yeah, it does feel like, if not a surprise, then sort of like, what is it doing here, in a way? But we do find the guy that... Ed was trying to find. He asked them, who, who are you? And he says he had a sign that he wanted to play a song with the group. And Ed's like, all right, we don't do this very often. It doesn't happen every day. So let's let him play a song with us. And there's a point where Ed's like, oh, he just asked Mike to marry him. So introduces him as Juan Pablo and says, that's my guitar, Juan Pablo. And jokes about that. And then it seems like Ed takes out a bottle of wine and has him take a swig of it before getting into a version of Last Kiss. What do you remember from this? Actually, I, I've had interaction with Juan Pablo over social media. No way. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a very you cool guy. to him then. Yeah. Yeah. For sure I will. I'm going to tag him up and so he can listen to. And actually, he owns a music shop in his hometown. I think it's Quilpue. Like, it's closer to Santiago. So he has pretty cool stuff in his shop. I don't know if you guys knew, but he did this twice. He played with Pearl Jam also in 2013. Juan Pablo played Last Kiss with them. He was with a sign. And I think if I get my story right, I think he even camped. Like just a way to get like in front of the line. He had this plan and he really wanted to live that moment with them. And like, well, he did it, which I was, everybody was like, oh man, I hate you so much right now. Yeah, right. But we were, yeah, but we were happy for him at the same time. But yeah, he did it on 2011. He played Last Kiss with them. And then he played actually Sonic Reducer on 2013. Oh, jeez. Okay. And dude, he nailed it both times. Like, he's a very good player. Wow. 
I was about to say, like, I, it was tough for me to separate the band and him. I don't know if that was just a me thing. Maybe the Last Kiss doesn't invite for a different kind of sound into this, but I didn't think that I recognized him in this. Yeah, and, and when you hear him in the mix, you can really hear him in the back. Because, for example, something that I do whenever we are like talking about shows, I always go by my run of three. So I listen to the show in headphones, then in a speaker, and then in the car to see if I can notice like any differences like in, in between that. And he's in the mix, and he, you can hear him play. But if you have the shot, like, because 2013 is on YouTube, like he nails Sonic Reducer. Like he, okay. yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing as Sonic Reducer. One last thing about Last Kiss is that South America is not the U.S., and I think a lot of people in the U.S. have been pretty, for the most part, anti-Last Kiss. There are a lot of people that are pro. It's all kind of up to everybody's discretion, of course, but it feels like South America is 100% always pro, pro, pro this song. Like They want to see it every night, and if you look, they played it seven of the ten shows that they played down there on this tour. Yeah, that's definitely a crowd pleaser. I like the song. I mean, I don't mind if I don't hear it or not, but it's definitely a crowd pleaser. All right. From Last Kiss over into Black, what a wonderful performance of this. And every time it's in South America, it's going to be the one that sticks out the most. Crowd singing along in unison, pouring everything out there alongside Ebed. And, you know, Mike has his own emotion that he's pouring into it like a very classic version of this song. We belong together, Tag. John, you had some thoughts about this and what it sounded like. What what do you got? I think this is the highlight from the show. I mean, you can talk about Do the Evolution and Waco being like the big songs from the South American, but. This version of Black, I think, is just absolutely stellar. It sounds really good on the We Belong Together. Mike's solo is just outstanding, but it's really, I wanted to ask Javier about what Stone's doing here. It sounds like some harmonics going on, which we don't usually hear during Black. If you could talk a little bit about what Stone's doing here. Yeah, he's playing the octave, and that's creating the harmonics. So this song is in E, E, D, C. That's like the background of the song. But yeah, you can hear the harmonics, which is basically you're going to be playing two strings and there are certain notes that you can do that. And he was just playing the same chord progression in like in a harmonic and the octave of the note, which it sounds like super cool, is something that he doesn't do very often. Another thing that is really cool to notice about this version of Black, or specifically like we have said before, like kind of like the kickoff of what we know as of Pearl Jam nowadays, is that Stone is only using his hand, he's not picking up on the guitar. When you select your pickup, you have rhythm and treble, those are the most like known of. But then the middle pickup, he was using that and just using his right hand, no pick. And it was amazing how much jangle he was started to add to the song and how like it kind of like created a different mood to it. And it honestly reminds me a little bit he was using those resonators in 2005 in South America too. Like those versions are super emotional. Yeah, in this show I remember that the stage went red and everybody lost their minds for a little bit, especially at the end with the We Belong Together tag. We associate that with the 1992 like the MTV Unplug and when the first time you heard that tag. But yeah, the Stone, it was definitely started to play black a little different on this tour from now on.
yeah, tremendous version. And I love going into the ending of this and the way that this kind of finishes. A lot of these songs we, we kind of talked about, like Jeremy before, where the tempo picks up and picks up and picks up. And at the end here, it's like the tempo completely slows down and it kind of gets to a point where it gets so quiet that it almost just dissolves. And I thought that the way that it just ended and kind of put the period on this was absolutely gorgeous yeah this was an excellent version of black all right ed shouts out stone and matt and then makes mention to x who is touring south america for the first time in their 35 years of existence and now closing out encore one is rear view mirror javier air <laughs> i'm not using that one damn it javier another one to the bucket Ugh, fuck you. <laughs> All right, Guru. I have this for you here. We always talk about this bridge. We always talk about what goes into it. But now I think we can kind of get sort of the full perspective of everybody's position and what they bring to the table to make this complete. Go off, my friend. It's all about Stone, man. Stone is the genius here. I don't know if you noticed, but whenever version you hear is always going to be dictated but how much space stone is going to give to everybody else matt usually tends to follow along whatever he's going to be doing in this specific case he kicks on on a reverb pedal or something to make the song a little bigger or like to create more space specifically is a magnavive pedal that he was running on this board for this year and it's kind of cool because whenever he starts make the little arpeggio is kind of going to say like all right matt so we need to get a little spacey we don't need to rush the song or we need to rush the song in mike's case if you listen to this he's never gonna jump right on top with a massive solo or a massive riff he's always going to be complimenting whatever he's doing and usually jeff is the one making all these little figures on the bass when stone gets into this kind of like groove if he's not doing that most likely matt is going to speed it up and the song is going to get super rocky and that's when you can hear mike soloing and usually that's when mike is going to start to play a little bit more with delays with his wah or even like completely rolling out the volume and just like going along with it it's all about stone he's gonna set the tone for whatever like they want to do in this one and then they will kind of like gather in the center or kind of like all right like do we make it longer do we make it shorter do we continue with the same jam yeah it's it's all about him
the hot hand and you know i've always kind of thought that with this that stone is is the lead and then jeff is really the engine along with matt which is just a a locomotive ready to blast through an entire audience and the bridge on top of what the ending sound like and the roller coaster that it takes you on just sounded massive and it sounded almost like you know all of those continuous chord strums and like pounding of the drums and everything it just sounded like they did not want to end this song it sounded like they never wanted to stop this is an excellent version of rear view mirror it's just really driving and cameron especially too just pushing the tempo and just keeping it going jeff and matt i thought were, were locked in really well and this it just has that kind of epic driving open feel to it encore two to finish off the show we got seven massive songs to finish this on that's how you know that you're in south america that really from the end of worldwide suicide all these are hits they're fan favorites they're going to be knockout home runs and we're going to kick off encore two there's no pleasantries or anything like that we're getting right into once then into better man then into crazy mary once i thought was really really juiced up and ed's belting out some of those lines and screaming out some of them and maybe trying to mimic his best 1992 side But it's better, man, I think, for me here, because it's obviously any time that the crowd takes over and sings both the melody to the intro and then all the lyrics, and then Ed just lets them go. He doesn't chime in for any of it. He just lets them go the whole entire time. Watching the clock is was in what's considered to be the best crowd for any better man ever and i noticed that and i noticed how wonderful and how kind of goosebump inducing it felt so what was it like being a part of this version you were talking about msg right of course oh yeah that's you know (laughs) i didn't have to say it (laughs) yeah that's that's a tough one to beat but yeah it was one of those like all right we're just gonna let people sing and then and then people took it and yeah it was a very nice moment like people singing along and we completely took control of the song like the band was kind of like blown away and kind of like everybody smiling because the, the sing-along got very very loud right right and the save it for later tag another one that's really really charged up very fast version of this tag and it really sounded like ed was 
almost like laboring with his voice a little bit. It really sounded like he kind of tore up his larynx in this, and it just feels like they are revving up as much as they can to try to get as many songs into that short allotment of time that they have, but it came off as a pretty big showstopper-type version of this. Crazy Mary, I wouldn't even consider this a duel here. It's all boom early, and then it kind of just eases into what Mike is doing. The groove is there. It's kind of groovy and then evolves into the electric kind of sound. I didn't feel a lot of duel. I felt way more co-op and then both of them at the end do find a way to kind of get berserk at the same time. What do you think of this? Yeah, I agree with you. I really like what Boom does in this version. They kind of like ping pong a little bit about like, okay, I'm going to play this. At the end, they found like the really nice sweet spot. Although I think survivors of 2005 we were like so happy that we got this song but a lot of people didn't know it and like as a program cover Mm. okay yeah this just felt really playful a lot of times it feels like they'll get into a little bit more and try to get a little more competitive but this one just felt again like fits the theme of the evening like you've gone through the set the crowd's been amazing they're just giving it right back just really playful going back and forth and yeah, it goes into the co-op mode and just, just fun. And now we're going to get into the party section here. And this is a party section like no other. This is basically everything. There's no rocking. That's the only thing that you would normally get in this end of set roll here. Bread and butter. But everything else, pretty standard. Alive. Bob O'Reilly. Indifference and Yellow Leadbetter. That's only been done seven times. And five of them happen to be done on the South American run here. So that's pretty special, pretty fantastic, and pretty rare. I believe the same show that we did Olay that one other time, I believe, was the last time that we had done an indifference and led better closer there. So that's pretty impressive. Now, what's it like? You know, you're getting your final couple songs. I thought Alive was really fierce, all attack, and felt like it was going to go on forever. But Baba is really like lights on, let's go, party. Then you get the two songs, and it feels like you're getting a bonus there almost. So you know the signal once you hear the first notes of Alive, and you kind of know that's the signal that things are are coming to a close. But you have a couple of minutes to, to really get to remember this night and to remember the good vibes and everything like that. So what's going on there? Alive was, yeah, I'm trying to remember it like as I close as I can describe in the way that I felt in that version, but it was just like that celebration of, especially because the song has evolved so much into just joy. It sounded fucking fantastic. <laughs> like the, everybody was on point on that one and the, the, the stadium again got a little shaky, you know, people are like, okay, they, they don't have much left. Let's just enjoy what we have. And, oh my, man, I mean, Mike at the end was fucking standing, like running all like across the stage and just soloing and doing all that stuff that he always does. And yeah, it, it's a pretty kick-ass version. It was one of those things where like, this is amazing, but I know that the end is coming after mm. live, you know? Of course. So how about Indifference and Ledbetter both together there? Like, first, Indifference has to be kind of a surprise in a way because that's not like they're typical of the typical closers. But to get both, that feels like everybody has to be going apeshit at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Indifference was a surprise for sure. Like, they're playing Indifference. Like, that was definitely the surprise. I was not expecting Yellow after that. I thought that that was like, okay, that's it. They're going to say their thank you and... 
hopefully we're gonna see them sometime soon. I mean, I knew that I was moving here anyway, so I was like getting the hopes to see them a little bit more often. But yeah, it was a very pleasant surprise as a fan. I was like, okay, I got it on my list. But then we, when you heard Yellow at the end, I, I knew immediately right after the song that they were not done because I remember Mike going very quickly to the side and grabbing the Strat and I'm like, they're playing Yellow. They're playing Yellow. I mean, they're rushing it, but they're going to play it. And yeah, and everybody went home with it like a huge smile and a huge sing-along at the end too. All the lights are on and yeah, it was really great. And that's how you end your show right there. All right. Well, that is jam-packed. Packed full of information, packed full of great performances. And now, since we talked about everything, well, why don't we talk about a couple things again, get into our three moments of the night. John, you're going to go first, then I'm going to go second, and then Javier will have the final word with the three moments. Cool. My number three is going to be Daughter with the red ring tag. Absolutely loved it. My number two is actually Down. So really, really impressed by the solo there. And my number one, like I said, has got to be Black. Best performance of the night. I'm going all hits here. I think I'm going to go number three is going to be Given a Fly. I just really loved how Mike's tone sounded on that. Like Javier was saying before with the P90, it sounded excellent. And my number two is going to be Rearview Mirror because it was just a great driving version, just a perfect example of what you want to hear from this song live and how a really revved up version can get you just fired up for the end of a set and then i'm i'm with you black is number one for me just a ton of emotion pouring out of that and completely undeniable it has to be number one i'm gonna go number three with crop duster because it was a great surprise for that night number two rvm awesome version and yeah you can't beat black i mean in this show it like there, there was so much emotion in that version of that song so that's definitely my highlight for the night that is across the board right there and shouldn't be a surprise to anybody it's in south america it's 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 the best one played in the best of places all right now it's time to get to a rating on this so we'll go in the same order again yeah i think there's some really good stuff here a lot of curious Setlist choices, Ole being the most egregious, but there there's some later in the set too that I think maybe didn't really work going back and listening to it. Obviously, I wasn't there. So I'm going to give this a solid eight. All right. Well, I will say that, yeah, the Ole factor doesn't make any show better. And if I were to have a deciding factor because of that, then maybe that loses like half a point because the song is so awful. It's so bad. So I, I pretty much had this grade in my mind anyway. And I kind of agree with some of the things that you said, John, I thought that like public image in the fixer before Jeremy was just really odd to me. I really didn't love that. I, I don't really expect there to be like big collector sets from South American shows. So as far as that goes, like getting, I got shit, a very good version of, I got shit and getting prop duster, like you said, Javier and getting even down and worldwide suicide. If you want to call those kind of collector songs for this, then, then fine. But yeah, I, I, this is a very solid show. This is, this is fun to listen to and some really solid performances. I'm going to give this eight and a half. You Maybe said, even Javi, a not- you said- 
You said Javier again. You got to put another. Oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, shut the fuck up. (laughs) This this is my show. I can say whatever the fuck I want. (laughs) Um, All right. Grading, grading, grading. From a fan standpoint, I think there were certain songs that they didn't work for me when it comes to kind of like progressing the set. So, yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about Ole again, right? But just just, just the fact. Well, we got to cover every show ever, so. (laughs) And we also have to do it for the late night series. Uh, Very excited about that. uh, I'm sorry. It's going to be the shortest episode we've ever done. Don't be sorry. (laughs) We do it to ourselves. Yeah, well, I don't blame you. But yeah, I will give it a solid eight and a half. From an emotional standpoint, I will give it a 10 because that was like kind of like the last one that I, I was able to enjoy with the same group of guys. So yeah, it has a lot of more deep meaning towards that than the set itself. Shout out to the Javier Six right there. And I hope you guys are going to meet at a show some point in the future that, you know, I always love having a group of really close friends together at a show and all experiencing it all together. So hope you get that opportunity to do that with, with your pals yet again so rooting for it rooting for it but the next show i don't know you're going to st paul right yeah i'm i'm counting on both nights in st paul and then i'll be your your ticket body for night two in chicago which already blackmail all the people that i needed to so i'm going to be able to go (laughs) (laughs) that is an inside joke fellas so you know yeah 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 (laughs) oh look if we can make an escape down to the ga then that would be that would be wonderful well throw that out there to the universe to see if anybody's listening but yeah, we're going to enjoy the show no matter what. I'm going to be looking at what they're doing and looking at what they have, and I'm going to be looking back at you and seeing what you say. So that'll be a really, really fun experience, and I can't wait for that. What we're going to do next week is it was just decided right before the show we're going to go and do a Patreon request for next week before getting into basically a whole month full of 2003 stuff. Again, that'll kind of end with the big finale of the Mansfield trio there. So next week is going to be universal city, the October 1st show from 2009. That's a Patreon request from Jason Weiss. So we'll get to hear from him a little bit and yeah, that's about that. I guess right now let's just say Javier air, Javier air. Can I do that? Does that count? Like, can I put in a nickel for that? Like, Yeah, we'll charge you 50 cents, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, whoever the hell you are, uh, it's (laughs) so appreciated that you've been so open to doing this and so open to ideas and creating ideas of your own and bringing them to the table. And I, I know from hearing from people that, and I really like when we first started having you on, I asked a lot of people, I'm like, do you like this? Cause it meant a lot to me that you were going out there and doing that. I wanted to make sure that people were getting something out of it. And it was overwhelmingly positive. Like people really enjoy what you have to bring to the table, probably more than anything that I have to say. So at least thank you for letting us sound good. <laughs> when when maybe we can't make ourselves sound good but no i in all seriousness you've been doing a fantastic job and it's really a delight to get to know you during this time period i'm really still disappointed that we didn't get to all meet up in seattle but we're making up for it in chicago of course but yeah like 
you have brought something extremely valuable to the show. And yeah, I, I hope everybody that listened today got something out of that as well. So once again, can't thank you enough for all of that. Yeah, you you guys don't have to thank me. I, I do this like every single week with, like you said, I always try to get something different to the table. I try to look back like, as you guys know, I don't know if people knew about this on the show, but sometimes when we're talking about specific things, I will turn on everything here in the room and I will try it myself to see if it really makes sense in the way that I want to explain it. So yeah, I, I'm very passionate about that. I know that there are some like wonderful, like, guitar players out there that are like as influenced by this band as me and i should say thank you for allowing me the opportunity just to do this and i, I enjoy it every week and again this is why you need to sign a patron um, <laughs> um but the most important thing for me is the community that is surrounding all this and the way that we're bonding with you and john and people from seattle and so that's the most valuable thing for me and for me it's just like it means it means so much so yeah uh, thank you guys for allowing me the opportunity to do this and i'm always going to be willing to help in some form of another so yeah thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and your passion is just it's exciting yeah like just listen to the whole entire episode and you're like damn this this guy knows what he's talking about he's excited about it that's all we ask for it's awesome love this community too brother yeah great right. job all right, guys. Well, only a couple more things to say, and that's if you are listening to this right now and you're not subscribed to the show, then head on over to your favorite podcast platform, but specifically Spotify and Apple, the big guns, and click that subscribe button and make sure that you get all the updates for all the new episodes because you never know when one's going to come out. It could be on a Monday. It's usually on a Wednesday, but we have surprises up our sleeves sometimes. And if you are on Spotify, Apple, then head on over and just give us a rating. We think we deserve the five stars, but really it's Javier that deserves the five stars today. And I deserve at least one star for getting it right on that occasion. And <laughs> so <laughs> if you happen to give us a rating, then it's really, really appreciated. Please leave us a comment on Apple and all will be good. People will read that and hopefully get attached to the show as much as you guys have been attached to this. It's all about spreading a good word and maybe even more so about getting memories that we're telling and retelling from the shows back into people's forefronts. So that's really important to us. Hope it's important for you guys. So we'll just keep spreading the love over and over again. All right. Not much more to say, so this may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer, and although we may be parting ways, miss you already, miss you always. Once again, just a big thank you. Whether it's Javier, whether it's Javier, whether it's a gear guru, whoever you are, you're amazing, and hope to have you on more episodes when it comes into the future. And, you know, I think right here I'm going to play a little bit of that Oasis song. What's it called again? Something Soul? The meaning of soul. The meaning of soul. All right. So this is Olay, but by a band that cared to write a song instead of <laughs> what actually, actually happened with it. And actually, it's a really good one. They're, they're pretty amazing. They're pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. See you next week. Take it out of here.